all this knowledge about everything. I don't know what to do with it. If you're asking me what to do, I, you know, if you think about the very nature of life, I mean, from the very beginning, the development of the first cell divided into two cells. This whole purpose of life has been to pass on what was learned. There was no higher purpose. So if you're asking me what to do with all this knowledge you're accumulating, I say, pass it on. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your work in progress host, Harv, and I hope you're having a fantastic day. How could you not be, you know, the day after an election? Well, in Australia anyway. And uh, boy, did I have fun going to vote yesterday. It felt very meaningful, very therapeutic. Um, it's great just to, you know, exert your democratic voice and finally be heard, you know, have your opinion really mean something. Uh, and of course, I'm being facetious. Uh, there, there is nothing about voting that makes me feel that way at all, to be honest. I, uh, you know, I went in there and uh, I wrote my, my little votes in pencil on some flimsy pieces of paper. And then I put them inside a cardboard box, securing the knowledge that I had been heard and that my vote was very, very important. To be honest, I was very, very close to just drawing a giant cartoon penis on the voting form, especially when I saw how long it was. I had a lot of real estate to draw, like just a really big throbbing cock with eyes and a big grin. Um, but no, I did my best to vote accurately. I'm pretty sure I screwed it up. So probably my vote didn't count anyway, but hopefully it'll give someone a laugh somewhere. But it just made me think, you know, if there's anything that makes you feel completely insignificant, it's representative democracy. Something that's supposed to be inclusive uh, couldn't make me feel more isolated. I just feel like it's a complete waste of time. I could vote for pretty much anything. It wouldn't change the outcome. And the only thing that I think might change the outcome is what I say and do in my personal life, uh, whether or not I buy that can of Pepsi or that Powerade. The only thing that gets me into the voting booth is trying to avoid a fine. So uh, I know that's going to disappoint my father greatly, but I still haven't been convinced about this whole political process. So in my disillusionment, I thought what we could do this week is take a bit of a step back. We're at episode 30 now, which doesn't sound like a lot probably, um, but when I think about my original conception of this podcast, 
just getting one episode to make sense seemed like a massive leap of faith. So to get to 30 episodes, which may even be mildly coherent or may have even made sense to some people, is um, yeah, quite an achievement, something worth celebrating a little bit. So I want to do a bit of a sort of wrap-up episode. Uh, if you haven't cottoned on yet, we do six episodes, and then we take a little break and do six more episodes. So episode 30 is going to be the final, and I think I might take a bit of a longer break in between this and the next cycle. So let's have a look at the things that we've talked about, uh, where we've got things right, where we've got things wrong. And I want to take this from a big picture point of view. So I've entitled this episode, Narrativizing the Big Bang. I figure if we're going to talk big, we might as well start with the biggest thing that we know of or think we know of, and that is the Big Bang. So whether you believe in the Big Bang or not, whether you think evolution is a flawed concept or theory, um, let's not get too bogged down in that. Because essentially, we all know that something must have happened to create the entire universe. Okay, so whether you think it's the scientific concept of the Big Bang or the seven days of God creating the earth and the heavens um, or some other concept, let's just call it the Big Bang because it's a funnier term, right? I can make sex jokes about the Big Bang. I can't really do that when I'm talking about God. So let's go with the one with the most potential for humor. Your thoughts and choices arise out of each present state of the universe, which includes your brain and your soul, if such a thing exists, along with all of its influences, whether random or not. Your thoughts, intentions, and choices are part of this causal framework. So your thoughts, intentions, and choices matter because whether they are the product of a brain or a soul, they're often the proximate cause of your actions, and yet they are caused in turn by events that you did not bring into being. Reasoning is possible, not because you're free to think however you want, but because you are not free. Reason makes slaves of us all. It matters that two plus two equals four, and it matters that you understand this. Are you free not to understand it? No. Not if you do, in fact, understand it. Are you free to understand it if you don't understand it? Again, no. Whether you understand or not isn't under your control. But the difference matters, absolutely. Anyone who believes that 2 plus 2 equals 5 will find no end to his troubles, because the world will oppose him at every point, beginning with his own fingers. You are part of reality, whatever it is altogether. Where is the freedom in this? One of the things I've said on the podcast that's come back, other people have come to me and wanted to discuss, was this idea of determinism and the example that I used about water swirling down into the inevitability of going down a drain. And how we could picture ourselves as one of the particles in this swirling water. And because of the scale of our experience as a particle of that water, we would not necessarily understand the overall trajectory of where we're going. Although 
from the point of view of a person observing the sink, it's obvious that all of those particles, or at least most of them, are going down that drain one way or another. So the opportunity that those particles of water have to tell themselves any story they like about what their experience is, is almost infinite. And I think that analogy had some success in resonating with people on the concept of determinism. Now, it's very possible and possibly even likely that I stole that analogy from Sam Harris. I haven't been able to find a clip where he says that, but I have listened to most of the episodes of his podcast. So Sam, if that was yours, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to take credit. I just really like that analogy as a way to describe a concept. And I noticed something weird the other day, and it, it, it reminded me of the sink analogy a little bit. Uh, I was getting into an elevator to go up to the 13th floor for work. And as we went up the floors, we stopped off, people got out of the elevator. And as people were removed from the elevator, which was quite crowded when we were on the ground level, uh, everybody would rearrange themselves to almost equally distribute themselves amongst the space within the elevator. And when I noticed this, I started thinking about it in terms of how we kind of, in a sense, act like particles. The behavior to evenly distribute yourself in a particular space is quite particle-like. And I think that's why it got my attention when I saw it. And I was trying to think, well, what is it that we're doing? Why do we do that? Why don't we get in the elevator and use as little energy as possible until we reach our floor and have to exit? Why do we expend that little bit of extra energy rearranging ourselves to um, fit evenly distributed in the elevator? And the answer that came to me, and I think is probably the truth, is personal space. We have this idea of personal space and we don't want to invade each other's personal space. But when it gets to a situation in an elevator or on a train or somewhere like that where we have a large crowd in a small space, we'll break the rule and invade each other's space. But we're uncomfortable with this. So as soon as we get an opportunity, we evenly distribute to make sure that we're not violating other people's personal space or maybe to stop people from violating ours. But that's really just a story we tell ourselves, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's not a necessity. And in fact, the concept of personal space isn't valid in every case. We actually like being touched by other people and we quite like touching other people. Uh, we just don't like necessarily doing it with strangers in an elevator or on a train. But try stopping your partner in the middle of having sex and saying, <clears throat> excuse me, you're just invading my personal space right now and see what kind of reaction you get. Chances are, well, you'll be kicked out of bed and possibly divorced. But the point is, while you're acting in the same way as a particle, you're also making a choice based on a story you tell yourself, just like the particles of water might do in a sink as they swirl down towards their inevitable fate of being engulfed in the darkness of the drain pipe. The truth is we have an urge to not invade each other's personal space and not have people in ours, but it's not really based on anything narratively sound. So we just create that little part of the story. And I think that's what human brains tend to do when we hear a story that has gaps or we see an end result 
and we want to understand how it came about. We just create those missing pieces so that we can conceptualize the story in a way that makes sense to us. But where does this urge come from? What does it actually do? What is the utility of this natural urge? Perhaps being evenly distributed reduces our risk of disease, but we're not thinking about disease when we're doing that. We're thinking about social behavior and elevator etiquette at this point. Although I suppose if someone sneezed on you, maybe your mind might go in that direction. And in fact, if you want to have a good time in a crowded elevator, I can highly recommend turning to your friend and loudly asking how their bird flu is clearing up. Suddenly invading each other's space becomes much less of a concern for those sharing the elevator with you. So this elevator example isn't by any means isolated. We tell ourselves one story, while the utility of what we're doing is completely different. And this is actually how nature works. It doesn't make us want children, or at least not for men anyway. It gives us an urge to have sex. It doesn't make us want food. It gives us an urge to alleviate hunger or experience flavor. And instead of incentivizing us with logic to avoid certain behaviors, nature just gives us pain when we engage in those behaviors. And boy, do we spend a lot of time avoiding that pain. Now, I'm not hating on nature by any means, but the urges that we have are nothing to do with the utility of the actions that satiate those urges. The mechanisms that nature uses to manipulate us are inherently dishonest. And yeah, it sounds a little like the mainstream media, doesn't it? Maybe we shouldn't hate on them so much. No wrong, we should. Definitely should. But when we narrativize the urges that we have to make them more palatable, all we're really changing is our understanding of the world and our perspective, not the actual events within it. So it's an interesting way to look at the world and our behavior, but how can this idea of determinism be seen as a positive thing when it, all it seems to do is take away the concept of free will? And I think the main thing that attracts me to this idea is that it frees us from the need to judge and assign blame. If you believe that everything is the consequence of all the events that led up to it, then you can't really blame a particular person or organization or entity for the end result, because the end result, in a sense, is inevitable. And judgment and blame are two things that I think we can do without. Um, they lead to anger and resentment, and they're not a particularly productive way to expend our energy. Everything on some level is, is more of a force of nature than it is something that you need to take personally. It's like if there's a hurricane blowing outside, we don't respond to it the same way we would respond to, you know, Al-Qaeda dropping a bomb on us, right? It might, it might create the same amount of damage, but in, in, the, in the latter case where we have an identifiable, identifiable agent, right, we feel like, okay, now we're in the presence of human evil and we have to go kill these motherfuckers. And we would kill hurricanes if we could kill them, right? I mean, we would, you know, we would uh, nullify them. But the feeling we have in both cases is very different. The feeling you have attributing ultimate authorship to a person's behavior is super narrow uh, psychologically and ethically. And it's, you know, the feeling of vengeance, 
right? Like, like you don't, you, you don't, you have a, you, this feeling of vengeance is so natural to get triggered in response to a person. It's not natural in response to a wild animal who may have done something terrible. And in fact, believing in free will leads to a whole bunch of quite exhausting activities. I mean, choices are exhausting. And we actually have mechanisms in our brain to avoid that because uh, our brains seem to recognize it as a very expensive operation. And the other side of it is that it also alleviates us from another human activity, which is very difficult, and that's forgiveness. If you don't assign blame, then you don't need to forgive. And I think we know that forgiveness is one of the most difficult things that we can do as human beings, to truly forgive someone who's done you wrong or you believe has done you wrong is extremely hard. But there's one thing that's probably more difficult than that, which is the ability to forgive yourself. And the freedom from that is something that makes determinism a very attractive idea. Unless, of course, you're particularly attracted to self-loathing, which means you are probably a nihilist. But of course, the problem with determinism is that lack of free will. How can you have a purpose if your free will is an illusion? Well, you, you still do have a choice. You have a choice in how you narrativize the events that happen to you. So when we believe in determinism, the way I see it at least, all you're doing is shifting that free will towards a creative endeavor as opposed to just making choice after choice after choice. And to me, that's a better way to think of things. I mean, the very choice to believe in determinism itself is the choice to narrativize your life. You can choose whatever philosophy you want to believe and then just live by it. Because let's face it, science isn't probably going to crack this one. There's going to be no proof unless we can meet God and talk to him and ask him, what the fuck, man? No one's going to tell you the nature of your own reality. Recently, I've been uh, teasing my girlfriend, Mariella, for a phrase that she says when she suggests something and then I kind of either repeat it or elaborate on it, she'll always say, well, that's why I said, you know, X, Y, Z. So she's essentially claiming credit for some mundane idea like remembering that we need to buy toothpaste in the shopping this week. And as amusing as it is uh, to me, it also is kind of interesting uh, as an aspect of human nature. Why do we like to own our ideas, our thoughts? We feel like we want to take credit for things. And this is something that I'm absolutely not immune from. I have all these ideas and I want to be the one to implement them. I couldn't have someone come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking of writing a novel. I've got no ideas. Can I have one of yours? And I'd be like, no, because I'm going to write that fucking novel. You wouldn't do it justice, mate. You know, there's no way as not the instigator of the idea, you'd be able to do it as well as I could. When in fact, there's probably a quite a large percentage of people on the planet who could write any idea I have better than I do. And when I was speaking to Alex Snarsky after we finished recording, I expressed this to him and he actually just said to me quite simply, geez, it sounds like you need an ego death. And I thought... That might actually come across as an insulting thing to say to someone, but I didn't take it that way. It was actually just one of those things that I just went, wow, thank you. That's actually really obvious now that I hear it out loud. 
And I suppose in a way, a belief in determinism helps that ego death too. If you're not responsible for the outcome of the events of the universe, then it's a little bit harder to take credit for whatever small part you might play in that overall narrative. But I do think that the fact that we have that instinct is indicative of the value that we place on the narrative we're creating. And when I think about this, I go back to the popcorn lobotomy video that I made on The Watchmen. And in that video, I was trying to defend the human race against the charge of being a mere virus on the planet by saying, we're really all just filters of energy. We take the sunlight that's been to our planet from the amazingly infinite source of our sun, whether that be by absorbing sunlight directly or eating food that grew in sunlight or by burning fossil fuels that were created, I don't know, millennia ago by the life that the sunlight enabled back then. And we reform that energy by filtering it through our consciousness. The choices we make in that filtration process, which is the narrativization of the events of our lives, determines whether that energy is transformed in a positive or a negative way. And who determines what's positive or negative? We do. And of course, that's just all part of the process. Now, given all this, you might be tempted to think that, say, clicking a like button on social media is an action that has some kind of significance under this philosophy. And I think that's possibly why we feel like we're doing something when we click the like button. But the difference is clicking a like button doesn't create anything. If you use your consciousness to create something tangible, then that thing exists in the world after you're finished with that creative process. Clicking a like button, all it does is create a number in a database. And if that's all you're doing, then, well, it kind of takes us back to voting, doesn't it? Let's put it like this. What's more likely? that there are zillions of tiny miracles and anomalies happening all at once, all over the universe, or that there was just one miracle that feeds all the others. It's kind of like the argument that the temperature changes in the earth are happening mostly due to the sun. There's a pretty obvious, big, bright thing in the sky that beams heat to us. You've got to sort of factor it in, don't you? That perhaps the Big Bang is the overriding force in the universe. And from that perspective, and at the right scale, everything is predictable. All the energy is going to radiate out from the central point of the Big Bang. It's just the water going down the drain pipe. From a smaller scale, or a personal perspective, yeah, these things look like miracles. But it's just like Arthur C. Clarke said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. But just because we can't understand a process doesn't mean it's inexplicable. And just because we're not the most powerful force in the universe does not make us insignificant. Our ability and inclination to narrativize is what overlays meaning and knowledge on the events that occur in the universe. Whether they're inevitable or a direct result of our actions is really immaterial to that process. Is it really important that we're directly choosing our path with free will? Or is that just 
ego and a need to control things. Are these the things that we want to embrace in ourselves? To be important, you don't need to be the most powerful force in a process. Each cog in a machine is just as important as the one next to it. And in a machine designed to learn a being's true nature, every data point is equally important. Now, normally on a statement like that, I'd play the music, we'd finish the podcast. But while I have you, I just wanted to take a moment, 30 episodes in, to thank anybody who's hearing my voice right now for listening to this podcast, and especially to those of you who've engaged with me on social media and held my feet to the fire in regard to this bizarre train of thought. I'm really amazed by how this process has gone ahead. Uh, When I started this podcast, I don't know if I knew what to expect, really, to be honest. I guess I'd hoped that it would resonate with a couple of people. One or two would be fine. Uh, if I if the download count had been zero, uh, I probably would have been disappointed. But if it had been one, I would have been okay with that. Uh, even if I'd never heard from that person or understood why they were listening. And that is the case with most of you. I don't know why you listen to this podcast or who you are or what it does for you. I can only assume that there's something about it that makes it valuable. And to me, that's just the most amazing thing in the world. This is my filtration process. This is the thing that I create with my sunlight. So for those of you whose name I do know, uh, I just want to give you all a bit of a shout out. Adam Kochi, Jay Ridley, Doug Wilson, Angus Younger, Alex Snarsky, Joel Pierce, you guys who came on the podcast and spoke to me and answered my silly questions. Uh, you guys are awesome. And you've continued to support the podcast and stay interested. And I just really appreciate uh, that you've gone with me on this little journey. Brendan, I, uh, I won't say your surname, but um, you've been a big inspiration behind the scenes and even managed to hold your OCD off long enough to listen to a few episodes, so thank you for that. Likewise, my cousin Rodders, you always support me, bruv, and I love you, and I hope we can work through our creative issues and get back on the mic sometime soon for the old 1240 podcast. Of course, Jessica, who supported this podcast at the start, I don't know where you went, Jessica. Maybe that was the only intersection our lives were supposed to have. But I do appreciate how much you supported and reshared the podcast uh, back when I was only a few episodes in. It's not my journey anymore. Uh, it's a community, albeit a small one. And uh, that's the reason I started a Discord server. Um, if you have a look on the Facebook group, uh, there's an open invitation for anyone to join me on the Discord group. That basically just means you can send me a message and it'll pop up just like a Skype message on my computer. We've got a bunch of topics set up there. I'd love to have more people in there. Uh, We can make this more collaborative. It shouldn't just be my voice. 
Um, it should be something that we all create together. If you like it, you know someone who would relate, um, send it out in your social media or whatever. I know it's a kind of a weird podcast, so it's probably tempting to feel a bit embarrassed recommending it to friends, but that's what make, makes podcasts spread. And the one thing that I think I've learned from going through this process and creating this train of thought is that it's not as crazy as perhaps it first sounded. So don't be afraid. Send it out there. Say, hey, I like this thing. Maybe you'll like it too. Because if we can get a few more people listening, we can get more of a discussion going, and we can actually potentially positively impact each other's lives as a community, as opposed to me just talking to Mike the microphone. And yes, that kind of brings it full circle. Wasn't intending to do that, uh, but there it is. Sounds a little bit like I'm saying goodbye. I'm not, but I am going to take a bit of a break and uh, clear my head and come back. I've got no shortage of topics. And if you guys join me on the Discord and get involved, I can share some of those ideas with you for future episodes. And maybe we can uh, vote on the ones that we're more interested in and that we think should be covered. Um, let's get in there and do it. Uh, not that I want you to do the work to create the podcast. I'm happy to do the work, but it's more just, I think we can co-create it. And in fact, we already are. So thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys after the break. <laughs>